Let me pray for Tony as, uh, as he comes to speak to us from God's Word. Father, thank you for uh, the gift of uh, Christ, your Spirit working in us. Uh, Father, we thank you for your Word. Uh, we thank you the way that, uh, for the way that you use it in our lives to encourage us and challenge us and transform us. And so, Father, we pray as Tony comes that you would speak through him. We pray, Father, that uh, his words might, uh, uh, coming from you, might, might be effective, that we might leave this place a little different than when we came in. So we pray for your blessing upon him and upon us as hearers in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Jason. Well, good morning. I should say, howdy, y'all. So this is what we do in Texas. No, I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't do that in Texas. We say good morning, uh, just like everybody else. And, um, but on behalf of uh, all of us who came from Stonebriar, we want to say thank you. Um, thanks for letting us spend these days with you this week together, both this weekend as well as next weekend. Um, and it is a delight to be with you. So uh, this is my first time in Ireland ever. So um, it's so far, it's gorgeous. So my wife hasn't even been here, and she's probably more excited for me than uh, that I get to experience this. So it really is a pleasure to be with you uh, all. So uh, Jason, thank you for this time uh, letting us. Uh, we, we come as a church to serve you guys. Um, we're grateful to be with everybody. Uh, for all the leaders in the church, um, thank you. Um, so my understanding is that you have some, as a church, some really exciting news here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and that is there's going to be a church launch. Um, and not this weekend, but is it next weekend, the following weekend? Um, so that is exciting, I'm sure, for, for everybody. And as, uh, as I thought about this and what some of the things that I wanted to share from God's Word with you, um, I would love if I could, both this morning and then in our time away next week, uh, I would love to give to you four next week and one this week, so five gifts from God that you can take with you along your journey. So if you are going to stay here in this particular location or travel to another part of the city that I want to give you from God's Word five gifts. And they can stick with you, and they're gifts that our Heavenly Father desires that each one of us enjoy. So, uh, the first one that we read about already, and that is in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And before we get there, before I uh, read that passage one more time, uh, this first gift that I want to communicate, it's, it's a gift from God, and it is simply this. Uh, it is God's compassion and His kindness. It is his compassion and his kindness. This is who, this is an attribute of God that he wants us 
to enjoy. It is part of his uh, disposition towards his people. Uh, so before we kind of get into the details of this passage, um, there's really four different words in the New Testament that uh, the New Testament uses to describe God's compassion, His mercy, His kindness. These are all synonyms, and so depending on maybe your tr English translation, you might see a, a different word, but uh, these are kind of, if you think of, about this attribute of God, of His compassion and kindness, think about it as a diamond, and, and we're going to turn the diamond and look at a little nuance of his compassion through each of these four passages that we'll see. So before we get to the Matthew 9 passage, uh, let me describe to you what this idea of compassion or mercy is. So one of the words that the New Testament uses, it's used to express a kindness that is expressed to somebody that is in need. So that is part of this idea of compassion. Uh, someone might have pity or, or mercy was the, the word that was used here in Matthew 9. We'll look at that in a moment. Uh, another word, if you kind of turn that diamond of compassion a little bit, you see a different word that's used, and it's used, and it, it describes a great sympathy or affection for someone, really, that's demonstrated from these inward parts, right? The, the inner parts of a person. It's when we see someone in such great need, it kind of, it, it turns our stomach and, and it forces us into some kind of action, right? Because it hits us at such a core place. It's such a great sympathy and affection for somebody in need. If you turn that diamond a little bit, uh, just one more time, uh, this, uh, the New Testament uses an additional word and it's this idea of being helpful and good and beneficial to others. And then there's this fourth word the New Testament uses, and it talks about being concerned about another person's unfortunate state or misery. And so we look at that situation, or we look at that person, and there is great concern for them. So that's the, that's the big idea of compassion. So let's take a look in four different places in the New Testament where we're going to see this quality like played out. It's much easier. Compassion is this idea that we can talk about or define, but it's so much better when we see it expressed in the life of Jesus and what's going on. So Matthew chapter 9 verses 9 through 13, what Jason has already uh, read, and you'll see in verse 9 that Jesus goes on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. So some will know this as the calling of Matthew, right, that he begins to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we read in verses 10 through 13, then something happens, right? So it happens that Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, right? Matthew's house. And behold, that's the word, New Testament word for, all right, pay attention. There's something going on here. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, I'm sure some of you are well aware that this is highly unusual, right? So Jesus, 
in the New Testament as he's, uh, his ministry is growing, uh, people know him in the culture as someone who is holy. He's a healer. He speaks with authority. But does he spend time with tax collectors and sinners? These sinners are known as kind of the irreligious Jewish people of the day. Right? So this is in comparison to, we read, uh, there were also in verse 11, uh, Pharisees. Right? So the Pharisees were the people of the day who uh, followed all of the religious law, and they taught the law. They were known as the super spiritual, God-fearing um, teachers of the day who would rule and who would teach, and people would want to emulate because they were the uh, folks in that culture that you would look up to as those are the ones who know God and follow God and have the rules, and we need to do what they tell us to do. And so in the situation in which Jesus comes along, and he is actually dining with tax collectors and sinners, irreligious Jewish people who don't follow the norms of the law, and, of course, the tax collectors. I'm sure some of you are very well aware that the tax collectors in that day, uh, these were the people who were not liked at all, right? They were the ones who kind of sold out to uh, the Romans of the day, and they were the ones who uh, people did not like, right? You would not have, you would not want to associate with them. They were known as greedy individuals, uh, deceitful individuals, and they would give the people's money to Rome and make sure they kept a little bit for themselves. Nobody really cared for the tax collectors. And so it would make sense, at least from a Pharisee's perspective, to ask the question in verse 11, so disciples, why is Jesus, who is your teacher, eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus, you were supposed to be the teacher of our people. You were the holy one, right? Uh, you have some special relationship with God that we see. How could you eat and spend time and associate with those folks? That's the question. And his answer is in verse 12. And he says this, uh, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is his response to those who uh, keep the law, this religious law, those who teach the religious law. Um, this is his response. They are the ones who needed to learn something. And what those folks needed to learn was compassion, or some of your translations, uh, it's mercy. That is the word. That is the thing that they needed to learn. So here are people who are tax collectors, who are sinners. Uh, they're the ones who don't follow the rules. They're the ones who uh, people look at as you better stay away because they're kind of the bad of society. And we see here there are two possible uh, remedies to those kinds of people. Well, there's the Pharisees, 
like their possible remedy, which is no remedy at all, and then there's Jesus's remedy, right? So the Pharisees are saying, well, why would you hang out with them? You need to separate yourself from them, and it's not until these tax collectors and irreligious Jews that they begin to start to follow the laws of the Pharisees, then then you can spend time with them. See, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, right, who are the ones who need a physician? It is the sick. And he just recognizes that these tax collectors, these irreligious Jewish people, the sinners of the day, right? There's a sickness that they have. And the the sick people, they don't need a finger wagging. The sick people, they don't, when you and I are sick and we go to the doctor, we're not looking for a lecture, we're looking for a remedy, right? And Jesus says to the tax collectors, and to sinners. He says, what you need is God's compassion. He understands that you are sick, and he doesn't offer you more rules, and God doesn't offer you more uh, things to follow and more shame, but God offers you his compassion. I understand, and I'm here to make you well. So, as we consider one of these gifts that God has for his people, we see this compassion, and um, uh, this is what God desires. For those in society that might be considered the tax collectors and sinners, those that are out there that may not follow the rules, that don't do uh, uh, the, the spiritual life in a particular way, God says, you know what, for them, it is compassion that I want expressed. Well, why don't you go a few more verses to the end of Matthew chapter 9, and let's take a look at uh, another few verses where we see this continued to play out, where we're going to see that God's compassion, it, it's motivating. So, uh, go to verse 35 at the end of Matthew 9, and it says this, Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt, there's the word, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited and they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so this is another part of that diamond of compassion, uh, another aspect of the character of God that that we see. So as Jesus' ministry in verse 35 is going and beginning to spread, and there's all these miraculous things that are going on, he just looks out crowd after crowd after crowd, and there are two particular words that he that uh, the gospel writer Matthew uses to describe this group of people. Uh, the first word is distressed in verse 36. It says, this group of people, they were distressed. This is a word that describes a person who is weary, 
who was harassed, troubled, who was bothered. In fact, this word can be used about how we can bother ourselves. These are the people that are just weary and tired of just the trouble of life. And there is no one to help these troubled people. That's the first word. That's the first descriptor of this group of people that Jesus looks out. It's distressed people. The second word you'll read there is dispirited. They're like sheep without a shepherd. This is a fascinating word. This word dispirited, it it has the idea of something that is thrown away or thrown down with with force. So uh, some have used in in that first century writing kind of like uh, to throw a stone or uh, for fishing to cast a lure out into a lake. It is the idea of you throw something with force and oftentimes it's to get away from where you're at. It is just throwing away. So when these two words are put together, uh, when he says in verse 36 that this group of people, that they were distressed and dispirited, uh, these were the weary folks of society. They were troubled, they were bothered, and they were the throwaways of society. And what is the response from the heart of God that we see? It's compassion. It's not another lecture. It's not another, well, guys, you brought this on yourselves. You shouldn't have done it that way. That's not how Jesus responds. He looks upon them, sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and he looks upon them, and there is something that goes on in Jesus' heart, and there's that response of compassion for them. And he says, right, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Because there are people in society, whether it was first century uh, in uh, the Middle East there when Jesus' day, whether it was then or whether it's uh, the few of us that are from the United States or it doesn't matter. This is a human condition. This is not a geographic description of people who are distressed and who are dispirited. This is the human condition, right? When sin has done something to a person and all its effects, and Jesus looks at them and says, I'm going to move towards you in compassion and mercy. Well, let's take a look at a third passage that relates to this. It's uh, Luke chapter 6. So as you turn to Luke chapter 6, this is very much uh, related to uh, this uh, idea of what do we do with these folks in society who, who may not be like the way we think they ought to be. Um, This is a passage in which Jesus is going to teach uh, many people about loving uh, loving their enemies. Uh, So it's Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, and we're going to see this uh, concept of compassion and kindness 
play out here. So let me start reading in verse 27. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But, and this is where we'll focus our attention, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful." So in this whole passage that Jesus is teaching his disciples about loving your enemies, it all comes down to the character of God that we read about in verses 35 and 36. You see, these enemies, uh, these are the people that are opposed to the disciples, um, these are the, these folks that Jesus is talking about here, they're one-sided in their opposition to God. Uh, these folks are also, as described at the end in uh, there, verse 35, uh, these are people who are ungrateful. Uh, these are people who receive good stuff, but they never stop to acknowledge, right, the goodwill of the giver, right? So we get sunshine, we get rain, and some people don't even acknowledge the person who gives that to all of humanity, and that is God. They, he says that these people are ungrateful, right? I've got four kids, right? And I, and I think this is something that we teach our kids to be grateful for, right? So, so many times, right, they come to the table, get their food, eat, and then just take off without saying thank you, right? So, we have to learn gratitude, but Jesus describes these people, these, uh, these enemies to disciples, the enemies to God as ungrateful people, right? They don't stop to say thank you. And then there's another description that you'll see there uh, that they are ungrateful and they are evil men. Uh, this word evil is used in many different contexts. Sometimes it's used to describe uh, humans. Sometimes it's described uh, demons, other groups of people, sometimes individuals. But these folks, this is a word that is used for those that are against God. It is the antithesis of all that is good. It is 
empty of good. It is contrary to good. It is a pursuit of all that is evil. And so what is amazing in this is that when Jesus says, and he teaches this idea about loving enemies, everything in our relation to them is because God the Father is our example. And we'll read in verse 35 again. He says, For God himself is kind to ungrateful and evil. He says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Like that is staggering to think about. When we think of the evil on planet Earth, when we think about all, it doesn't matter where we are in, in this world, there is evil that can happen. And in the amazing attribute of God, He is kind to them. He is kind to all of humanity. And He is merciful. Is He just? Absolutely. Will justice happen at some point? Perfect justice will occur. Justice is an attribute of God, but so is mercy, and so is compassion. So, we read this third example, that God himself is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Now, let me invite you to, to turn over to Romans uh, chapter 2, and this will be the last passage that we look at. And this is another demonstration of the kindness and compassion of God. So just to orient you here to, to Romans chapter 2, this little section in the book of Romans. Uh, so the Apostle Paul is writing and he's simply pointing out okay, that uh, all people... Uh, are in need of grace. And here that we're going to read in verses 1 through 4, a little section uh, really uh, related to a Jewish audience that is uh, moral for the most part and who likes to follow the rules, right? So we start reading in chapter 2, verses 1, and he says, Therefore you, the moral folks, uh, the moral Jews. Uh, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same for yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? So he's simply pointing out that even moral people are hypocrites. We're all inconsistent as humans. But here's the, here's, here's the point that we're going to get to, verse 4. He says to the moral people um, who are thinking their morality can earn some uh, relationship with God, he asks this question. Or do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God 
leads you to repentance. So when we think of what changes the heart of somebody who is a sinner or who is a self-righteous moral person thinking they can earn their way into heaven, he asked this question, do you think lightly of the riches of the kindness of God? What is the thing that changes a heart? It is God's kindness. It is God's compassion. It is his tolerance and his patience. And here we see a yet another example here in the New Testament that what changes a person, what draws a person to God is not the demands of being right or cleaning up one's life, but a simple acknowledgement that, you know what, I am a sinner and God's response to me is compassion, is mercy, is kindness. It's not the law that leads someone to repentance. It's not angry condemnation that leads a person to repentance. It's not constant begging and nagging and nagging. Come on, you have to change and you have to change. You have to get your life right. That is not what leads a person to repentance. It says there in Romans 2, 4, what leads a person to repentance? It is the kindness of God. That is what changes a person. I became a Christian when I was um, 18 years old. And I grew up, uh, my dad's side of the family is Italian Catholic. Uh, That was more of a cultural thing. And my mom's side of the family uh, was Mexican Catholic, and that was more of a cultural thing. Uh, so I, that was the setting in which I grew up. And so all I knew were rules and all I knew were you have to do this and you have to do that and make sure you get there on Sunday and make sure you go through that ritual, that ritual. And uh, that was what I grew up with. However, in my uh, school years, uh, I began to kind of live these two different lives. Uh, my uh, life that my parents knew that was a rule follower, and then my real life that my friends knew, which was, you could have called me a tax collector, you could have called me a sinner, you could have called me ungrateful and evil. I would have definitely have fallen in that category of people. Graduated from school, and uh, then one day, Uh, these friends of mine were sitting down with me and I was just asking the question for the first time. I'm like, hey, am I really going to heaven? Am I really going to heaven? Do I really have a relationship with God? And I thought because, you know what, I mean, hey, I'm not like Hitler or anybody. I'm not that evil. Then, I mean, what kid doesn't lie to their parents? And what kid is not immoral at some point? or a lot, you know, in my particular situation. And so this is what I was thinking. I'm like, well, I probably, maybe, I hope, right? Because I believe that God exists. He's there somewhere. Until a person shared with me these ideas. 
And that night, I remember it was real, uh, it was, uh, real clear for me in my situation. Uh, they shared with me this verse. It was uh, uh, Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that was the first time when I realized, like, well, wait a minute, God wants to give me something good. I mean, how in the world would he want to give me something good? I mean, after all that I've done, after all of the lying, after all of the deceit, after all of the immorality, after all, you name it, over and over and over, and after all of that, and th- there I was presented with reality, that God was compassionate, that he was kind, that he was merciful, and he wanted to give me something good, and he wanted me to enjoy him all of those attributes. You see, it was, and that night, that is when I became a Christian. And it wasn't all of those demands of, a, you know, uh, the, the moral demands or the spiritual demands that I thought, whatever I thought about it, but it was the kindness of God that led me to repentance. And I'm sitting there like an 18-year-old young man, and I'm weeping like a baby, you know, because I'm so happy that my sins are forgiven because I knew for the first time the kindness of God. Well, let me kind of finish with uh, these three questions. Um, First, who are the groups of people that we read about in these passages? Well, let me just review, okay? They're tax collectors. These are the folks that were, you know what, don't hang out with them. Be ashamed of them. They were the nasty people. They were the greedy people, right? We read about sinners, the the folks who were irreligious Jews. Uh, We read about distressed, the weary, the dispirited throwaways, those who have no one to care. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, We read about ungrateful and evil people, judgmental people, morally self-righteous people, These are the kinds of people in these four chapters that, or these four passages that we read about, and in every single situation, the response of God to them is simply compassion and kindness. It is compassion and kindness. Now, please don't get me wrong, just a little side note, okay? This this doesn't mean kindness and compassion doesn't mean that that God is allowing of all things and God approves of all things. That's not what kindness and compassion means. Kindness and compassion is in reference to someone who is in need, and God sees the needs of all of us, of all of humanity. So if this is the group that we read about, all of these people, uh, let me just ask you this question. Would you consider yourself in this group of people that we read about? And if that happens to be you, if you would think of yourself as maybe I kind of fit in this broad category of the distressed and the spirit or the evil or the ungrateful or the shameful, greedy people, or, and you've wondered like, man, I, I don't think God would ever like me. I don't think God would ever want me. Well, here are four clear passages and let the Bible speak for itself. That if you ever consider yourself, and if you ever second-guess yourself about, well, I'm not good enough, or I'm not um, spiritual enough, or I haven't done enough of, and you fill in the blank. And if you ever have those self-doubts, take 
God's word, listen to what he says. And he says, to you, I am compassionate. To you, I want to be merciful. To you, I want to demonstrate my kindness. Now, as you guys are about to launch out into this new church plant, uh, like I said, this is, right, this is a human condition. We see this all over the world, this, this need all over the world. Uh, it, it is, it is a, such a tough place, you know what? And when people think about Christians, uh, there can be all kinds of misconceptions. But as we read in Luke chapter 6, right, he says, be as your father, right? So as father, like, like father, like son, God the Father is compassionate and gracious, and he is kind and he is merciful, and that is how his children ought to be. So whenever we go out, whether it's as we return back to the United States, uh, here in, in about 10 days, and we see our world and in our society, and as you go to the other side of town, and you still hang out here in this area, and you see the distressed and the dispirited, just know this, that God looks upon them with great compassion and a great desire to show them kindness and mercy, and for every single human being to know that they are loved. And anyone who turns to the person of Jesus Christ will always find mercy. Well, let me pray for us, and then we'll sing. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have told us about yourself. I thank you that you have told us of your kindness and of your compassion, and the fact that we are all here this morning uh, just is a reflection of that. And we are so grateful. Uh, thank you that um, among all of our own realities, that we can rest assured that this is how we will be met whenever we come to you. Whenever we pray and whenever we address you, you are always kind. So we are so thankful. Um, and so I do pray for uh, the future of this church plant as well. Um, that may that group of believers be known as a demonstration of your kindness and mercy and compassion to everybody who associates with them. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.